You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Here are your hosts, Ben Rock and Ilya Friedman. Hey, so Ben, uh, this is our first ever Christmas special episode. Yay, a Christmas special. And as anyone who knows me knows, I don't like Christmas. <laughs> well, well, Ben, um, I think Christmas is, yeah, it's a... It's a over-commercialized holiday, but whatever form of celebration that you do this season, uh, a lot of people choose to go to the movies or have some sort of, you know, movie experience. Would, would you say that's true of you, even if you don't like oh, it? Oh, yeah, no, I loved going to the movies, although with a seven-month-old kid, I don't really get to a lot of movies, but uh, in general, yes, that is, a, that is a big thing I do, and uh, moreover, you know, there are a bazillion uh, noteworthy Christmas movies that, uh, that are, are awesome and worth talking about. You know what would be great? It would be great to have a film critic here who we could talk about Christmas movies with right now. That would never happen. That would never happen. How, how can we get a film critic in here? Surprise. Look to your left, Alonzo Duraldi. Oh my gosh. Holy crap. Alonzo is uh, one half of the duo that is the Linoleum Knife podcast, one of my favorite podcasts. Oh, thank you. And um, he's here to talk about Christmas movies with us. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's awesome. Could you could you tell us a little bit about your background and plug your uh, your book and your podcast and all your stuff? I would love to do that. Um, I'm uh, yeah. I, I've, I've written a book called uh, "Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas." It's a guide to holiday movies. Um, uh, my currently. I am the film reviews editor at The Wrap uh, and write reviews for them as well, of course. Uh, like you said, my husband Dave White and I host the Linoleum Knife podcast. I also co-host uh, the podcast Who Shot Ya for the Maximum Fun Network, uh, which is also about movies. And uh, yeah, so, you know, it's December, so it's time for me to talk about this stuff. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. So we, we kind of kicked around a bunch of different uh, Christmas-specific movies. Uh, I want to get one thing out in the clear, which is I've actually made a Christmas movie. Okay, True I want to hear about this. It's called Alien Raiders. And Tell it, me everything. And it's about uh, an alien that uh, that infested somebody. It came down in an asteroid, mm-hmm. and it, it, and it's kind of a body snatchery kind of thing. And right, right up to Christmas night, we're at a grocery store in Buck Lake, Arizona, and uh, a, a team of mercenaries who have all defected from the Jet Propulsion Laboratory show up at this grocery store and start shooting people up. So for the whole first act, you just think it's like a hostage thing, but really they're there looking for the alien. I, I am embarrassed that I did not know this movie existed because I, I finished writing it at the end of 2009. Like I just managed to get, uh-huh. you know, Zemeckis's Christmas Carol in there. I could have included this. Somehow it did not uh, cross my path. And I'm looking at the IMDb page, Matthew St. Patrick, Rockman Dunbar. These are a solid cast. Carlos Brown. No, we have, we have a great cast. And at the end, nobody learns the true meaning of Christmas. Oh, okay. Well, that, that, that's a way to go sometimes. Ben, I know you want to self-promote your, your, your movie here, but do you think it's really fair to call Alien Raiders a Christmas movie? Yes. And, and here's why. As I've said, I'm not a big fan of the holiday. I was, I was raised Jewish in Orlando, Florida, which was not a super Jewish area. In Orlando sort of way. <laughs> and well, you had Lou Pearlman. I did. <laughs> uh, I didn't. Uh, um, but uh, no. But I, I. So I was. I was raised Jewish, and I always kind of felt excluded by the Christmas miracles. And uh, also, I don't believe in God. So to me, uh, Christmas. It, it's really starts the day after Halloween. So like November first is like the assault of Christmas music that goes away sometime around like January fifteenth. It's like a headache that I can't shake and. Uh, and so for me, Alien Raiders is how Christmas makes me feel. Uh, and if you watch it, you'll notice most of the slaughtering happens to Christmas Carol music. 
I am also, I'm a Christmas atheist. Just to, I want to put that out there. <laughs> You're not alone in this. Which is actually really why we wanted to have you, because your book is kind of like Christmas movies for people who aren't really into Christmas. Which... Well, you know, I, I tried to cast a wide net. I was like, you know, yes, if you are if you want to pick it up and you want to learn things about the making of Miracle on 34th Street or It's a Wonderful Life, you know, those movies are in there and I talk about them and, and you know, we get into to what's great about them and, and all that kind of thing. But, you know, I was very early on the Yes, Die Hard is a Christmas movie train. Agreed, agreed. Yes, totally thank you. a Christmas movie. Die Hard is a Christmas you know, movie. Eyes Wide Shut is a Christmas movie. I less than about Zero that. is a Christmas movie. Ooh, less than Zero. The Lion in Winter is a Christmas movie. So, you know. You just it, blew my mind like three times in a row. <laughs> You need to read my book, sir. Uh, so yeah, so I, I I'm all about broader definition. So yes, for, for from the little I know, Alien Raiders is totally a Christmas movie. All right. Well, to kick us off here, Alonzo, what what is what would you say is a real hidden gem Christmas movie? Like I know you've just named a bunch of things, but if you had to pick one movie for the person who's like, you know what, Christmas movies. I mean, come on, <laughs> Christmas. I, I don't really want to sit. Th- what what what's your number one like go to? Like, oh, have you seen? You know, it kind of depends on what they're into. Like a movie that came out on Blu-ray for the first time last year that I was really pushing on people is a 1940s drama with um, Joseph Cotton and Ginger Rogers uh, called "I'll Be Seeing You." And uh, he plays a, a returning soldier from World War II who has what they then called shell shock, mm. uh, we now recognize as PTSD. Uh, she is on furlough from uh, serving a prison sentence for manslaughter, which uh, we later find out is she is serving because she killed the boss who tried to sexually assault her. Oh. But even by pushing him out of a window in self-defense still got her a manslaughter rap, which is I was surprised to find out is an actual thing. Like there are people in jail today who, you know, killed somebody in self-defense and still went to jail for it. Um, Weird. So they meet each other on a train, not knowing the other's, you know, situation. And these two sort of fragile, you know, souls kind of find each other over the course of the holiday um her uh ginger rogers cousin is played by shirley temple in one of her first adult roles and at first she's very kind of judgmental and standoffish about this you know jailbird cousin that she has but as she gets to know her and comes to understand the circumstances behind you know how things happened uh you know she she takes a very uh, she, she becomes much more uh, compassionate and caring uh, about it. And so, yeah, I think the, uh, this is a movie where it, it is set over the Christmas season. There is like a Christmas dinner scene and, you know, kind of, you know, like there's a big Christmas ball that everybody goes to. Uh, but it's not one that people necessarily know about or think about as a Christmas film. But, uh, you know, I, I think for, for 1944, it's really touching on issues that were relevant for a country that was still at war that was dealing with you know men coming back broken physically or mentally um and so you know i i just uh, we, we tend to think of those sort of code era movies as all being very sort of soft and and gushy but you know they they got tough uh the uh, cinematographer in that was a guy named uh, tony gaudio um who's probably best known for shooting michael curtis's the adventures of robin hood oh wow um and he also shot uh, the letter starring betty davis sweet I love you. Thank you so much for, for, for starting off just, just with that, because that's, that's, re- that's really wonderful. It's something I've never heard of, uh, and it's totally the type of thing that I, that I would watch. So uh, we get to start. Well, you can I- watch it on Filmstruck. Oh. oh, too soon. I was doing host segments for Filmstruck. I was, oh, I was, I was doubly de- devastated about that loss. Uh, all right. For our listeners who don't know what Filmstruck is. Was. Was. Uh, who, who wants to break it down? 
Okay, it was a streaming service that was uh, run by TCM and it included films from the Warner catalog as well as the Criterion Collection catalog. So it was this amazing place to get everything from like, you know, early silent films by Ozu and Anti-Mame, you know, um, yeah. uh, just and, and really meticulously curated. And they had a lot of intro segments featuring people like me <laughs> talking <laughs> about directors and films and whatnot. And it was it was a, a, a it was just kind of the perfect streaming service for people who wanted you know, you know. Look, if you, I love Netflix, but good luck trying to find a movie on there made before 1975. You know, it's awesome. Have you seen Canopy? I, yeah, no, with a K. I love Canopy. Yeah, if, if you have a library card, odds are you can access Canopy, which gives you a lot of the Criterion Library, a lot of the Kino Lorber Library. I believe the entire Frederick Wiseman Library. Yes, that's one that I was like so excited to see. Yeah. Somewhere. So no, I've been pushing Canopy on people for ages, but uh, but yeah, the loss of Filmstruck sucks. <laughs> I had heard that Criterion was going to launch their own. But, they uh, but they are. The, the the Criterion channel is going to start in spring of 2019. And uh, there is now, I think there was enough pushback about the, the, the end of Filmstruck where Warner Media is going to come up with some version of it. And then once that happens, the, like Criterion will probably dovetail back with it where you can get them both together again. Um, I hope that happens, but, you know, we'll see what, 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 what that new one looks like. Uh, John Horn on The Frame just recently did a whole show all about uh, the loss of classic films being able to be found and the new way that people are digesting their their, their movies, which is not blockbuster. It's their streaming services right. and everything else. Uh, but yeah, this is another, if Filmstruck has now gone away, then that is one less resource to find all this stuff. It looks like buying it on DVD or Blu-ray might be the only way if you can find it if it's not on some sort of moratorium for right or or you know your your local library does still carry a lot of physical media it's true too. and you know your like I said your library card does get you access to Canopy Canopy is awesome also with a lot of the older movies if it's something that's pretty old sometimes you can even find it on YouTube that's true YouTube really is trying to make a play for for. Actually, I don't think they know what they're trying to make a play for. It's basically like, <laughs> if we can own the rights for it, they're going to put it up there. If they could send, like, salad tongues out to just grab your eyeballs and hold them for life, <laughs> YouTube would do that. That's what they're That's their aim. Uh, all right, uh, Alonzo, what else you got for us? What else is, uh, what else is on well, your, your you list? Well, you know, one of the things that I did with the book was I, I tried to create a lot of different categories. So, you know, the first chapter is, like, movies for the family. You know, watch with your kids, that kind of thing. And and, and there are a lot of good ones. And, and even in that, I think there are ones that people don't necessarily know about like the 1989 Prancer for instance I think is really terrific and, and maybe some parents don't know about it um, but you know there are a lot of films that are not aimed at kids whatsoever so you you know talk about something like Brazil or The Apartment or uh, you know uh, Venus Beauty Institute or whatever like that are that are um, you know aimed at an, an adult audience and also are set at Christmas or have a you know some kind of Christmas thematic thing going on with them but I have a whole chapter of uh, crime and heist movies. You know, beyond Die Hard, you've got Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and The Long Kiss Goodnight and uh, uh, the the noir film Lady in the Lake, which is. Do you guys know this one, Lady in the Lake, where the the where the whole the the the, the shtick of the film is that the camera is the hero of the film. So Robert Montgomery is playing Philip Marlowe, but unless he's standing in front of a mirror, you never see him. You hear him, and the everything he sees, the camera sees. What year is that? Nineteen forty-seven. What Six. I need to see that. That yeah, sounds so awesome. It, it's the first studio film that does the, where the feature where the whole thing is POV. So if you saw hardcore Henry the GoPro shoot him up 
uh, very ultra violent uh, Russian movie that came out a couple of years ago. This is the 1946 detective, basically <laughs> sort of a version of, of this. It is a uh, it's a little slow. It's a little bit. You got to remember the technology in 46 in order to move a camera the way that needed to be moved. There's like a, a scene, I believe, where he's like rolling down a hill in a barrel and they have this POV shot. That's like it's very disorienting. It only lasts for mercifully for a couple of seconds. But <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a, you know. I saw it in film school. I think that's probably how a lot of people experience this. It's very much, it's all, it's a, the first first person movie I can think of. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, you know, and then uh, this just got released on Blu-ray, which I've always been kind of a fan of. It, it, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but the 90s remake of DOA, speaking of noir films, the, the sort of sweat-drenched uh, Dennis Quaid, Meg Ryan movie, all set at Christmas. Uh, you know, there's something about watching like, you know, sweaty people drinking eggnog. <laughs> that I think resonates for people like us who live in a part of the country where we don't get snow in the winter, you know, but we try and celebrate anyway. You know, that's part of the whole Shane Black shtick. I think he really loves... Yeah, Shane Black has done that, that I mean, because, yeah, he did that on... I mean, you're talking about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and also he wrote Die Hard, correct? Uh, no, but Am he... Am I an idiot? What did he... he no, you I'm thinking of Lethal Kiss Weapon. Goodnight and Lethal L- Weapon Lethal all Weapon, have Christmas stuff. Lost Boy Scout. Uh, Last Boy Scout was it. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, and then also Iron Man 3, he managed to turn oh, into a Christmas great. movie too so so what is the what's the attraction of uh i say this as someone who who did it but like what do you think is the attraction of setting these kinds of movies at christmas what does it do to the stakes of the movie to set them at christmas i mean i think it depends you know i think sometimes it's a purely aesthetic choice of like i love the artificiality of an la christmas i love how Mm -hmm. we put up twinkle lights and fake cotton snow batting and you know people wearing santa outfits when it's 90 degrees outside um you know i think for 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 certain genres like i said like like the crime films or or horror films you have what is universally considered like the most wonderful time of the year you know it's Mm -hmm. it's a time of childlike innocence and a time of familial love and a time of you know redemption and understanding and so to place a bleak or dark story against that backdrop just you know puts it in sharper relief of of just how bleak and horrible that story is juxtaposition exactly well like I I think a lot about gremlins when I think about setting a genre movie at Christmas but gremlins thematically is tied to Christmas because that movie is so much about consumerism and about like something being co-opted and turned into capitalist fodder sure and and so setting it at Christmas is the perfect place to, to put that because it's about the perversion of Christmas. Oh, totally. And I think Joe Dante has, has said as much that basically his whole intent for the film was to kind of unleash a monster movie inside something like It's a Wonderful Life. You know, yeah. it gives you this insanely idyllic small town, uh, but as in a Capra film, you have like the, you know, sort of evil plutocrat, you know, in this case, the Polly Holiday character instead of Mr. Potter, you know, and then you have these monsters being unleashed and sort of, you know, exposing the sort of, like you said, the darker aspects of Christmas and kind of the the id of the community in a Grant lot of ways. Shot by John Hora, who shot a bunch of, uh, of, of Joe Dante movies, including one of my favorites. The Howling, but also The Burbs and a bunch of a bunch, matinee, a bunch of well, stuff. And, and, you know, I've, I've met John. He's a really nice guy. So uh, he, Let's get him on the show. We, we, we <laughs> probably should. could get him on the show. He shot, uh, he's shot, uh, the, he shot Explorers, if you ever saw that kid's movie. Also, Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal. I mean, all yeah. kinds of cool stuff. And, so, you know, so. Dante sort of famously likes to use a lot of the same actors over and over again. You yeah, know, Dick uh, Miller. Dick Miller, exactly. So I'm sure, I'm not surprised to hear that he... he he goes back to the same crew over and over again as well. Um, you know, there is a Christmas 007 movie. 
Definitely. On Her Majesty's Secret yes! Service. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Which gave us the song, Do You Know How Christmas Trees Are Made? Um, I did not know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, 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 one, the one George Lazenby uh, 007 effort is also the only uh, Bond Christmas movie. It's also the only Bond movie to be shot entirely in Europe. Uh, well, uh, yeah, James Bond and Christmas. I don't usually think of the two uh, going together, except for that. Oh God, what was her name? Christmas, oh, Christmas Jones. Christmas Jones. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> not, not counting that as a Christmas movie. Now, have you got? I know. I know you're a, a, a horror aficionado. Have you seen Christmas Evil? I have not. No. I oh haven't. goodness! Uh, it is John Waters' favorite Christmas movie. He has gone <laughs> on the record of this, and I think did a, a, eventually did a DVD commentary with the director of the film. Um, it uh, it is this very twisted story about uh, as as a kid, this guy sees. Uh, mommy kissing Santa Claus but it sort of goes beyond that and it sort of warps him for life and as an adult he um, is obsessed with Santa Claus he keeps tabs on the neighborhood kids who's being naughty who's being nice that's actually kind of brilliant uh, and then and he works in a toy factory but then when he gets laid off he, he cracks and uh, starts meeting out punishment to, uh, to, to adults who have been bad and um, yeah it's amazing and it, it stars this actor Brandon uh, Taggart I believe is his name um, no, or Brendan Maggart, sorry, um, who is the father of Fiona Apple. Whoa. Yeah. That's so, crazy. Uh, and, and I think won a Tony for applause. Like it is this really interesting career. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it is a, it is a dark film. It pops, it pops up on TCM every so often, like in their underground segment. That's fun. Uh, but it's a, it is a, it's a cool horror movie that I, I like a lot. Um, and then there was, you know, of course, everybody knows Silent Night, Deadly Night, and the, its sequels. There was another film called Silent Night, Bloody Night mm-hmm. um, that was made in the early 70s. And uh, the guy who directed it is was, at the time, married to Mary Warrenov, mm-hmm. um, who, you know, before doing Eating Raoul and other Paul Bartel stuff, had been one of the uh, Andy Warhol factory girls. Like she's, she's in Chelsea Girls rather prominently. And so other factory people sort of have cameos in this movie. There's this extended flashback in an insane asylum, um, you know, in, and, and you see like Andine and all these different like uh, uh, Warhol factory Fun. folks in it. Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's very low I, budget. I it's, think I've seen that movie, but I think I saw it when I was, I don't even know how I saw it, but like <laughs> when I was a young kid. Yeah, it's, it looks like, it, it looks like the kind of movie that would show up on late night TV on a mm-hmm. UHF channel, you know, shot, I think entirely in on Oyster Bay, Long Island. Um, but it, it has its, you know, uh, more recently there was a film called, um, uh, you better watch out. No, sorry. You better watch out was an alternate title of Christmas evil. Uh, better watch out is the, um, uh, this is a movie that uh, uh, this guy, named, a director named Chris Peckover, did, um, and it's basically if Kevin in Home Alone was a little bit older and uh, wanting to uh, try to seduce his slightly older babysitter, but still was a sadistic little creep um, as he was in Home Alone. Um, it's it's very funny and and very kind of shockingly uh, outrageous, and and has some really fun twists in it and some interesting kind of manipulation. The kid who plays the lead, Levi Miller, was in the terrible Pan. Mm-hmm. If you saw that a couple of years ago, the Peter I, Pan. Prequel. I did not. Yeah, you quit while you're ahead. I, I beg you. 
but he's really, but he's good in that, and he's really good in, in Better Watch Out. <laughs> Better Watch Out is interesting, uh, partially because it was shot entirely in Australia on a soundstage, but they do a, a pretty good job of faking like a snowy American backyard. Um, you know, there are exteriors and stuff, and, and in a country where it's never even cold during the holidays, uh, which I thought was pretty impressive. Um, the DP was named uh, Carl Robertson, who shot Roadkill. Nice. Did you see Roadkill? I believe I have seen Roadkill. Uh, all right, so uh, Alonzo, I got to ask you. Shoot, uh, you 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 know, as a film critic, uh, you you watch a lot of movies. That just comes with the territory. Sure. So, uh, do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite <laughs> of all of all of these movies? I'm not talking to like of all time. I'm talking about like Christmas movies. But do you have a favorite one that like you go back to every year? Do you have? Do I you mean, have... I I have a few <laughs> that I go back to every year. But I, I mean, I, I, you know, the the easy answer, of course, is it's a wonderful life. Like that's it's, it's an extraordinary movie, and I think it holds up in a lot of different ways. And it 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 is an experience. That's a movie that really kind of puts you through the ringer. And by the time you get to the happy ending, it is very deserved at that point. Mm. You know, we've all earned it at that point. Um, but, well, it's know, a wonderful life. You could almost say, kind of sets the template for the Christmas mo- movie, and a lot of other Christmas, a lot of like the happy, happy Christmas movies are sort of a pale copy of what It's a well, Wonderful Life did. You know, I think there's different ways to approach it, and and really, It's a Wonderful Life. I I look at it as part of a continuum that starts with a with a Christmas Carol. In terms of, uh, I I have this theory that a Christmas Carol, It's a Wonderful Life, and Home Alone are all kind <laughs> of the same story. In that somebody <laughs> is shown an alternate vision of their life and comes to appreciate you know what they've been taking for granted hmm. so like you know Scrooge is redeemed when he sees the failures of his past and 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 is you know warned against what might happen in his future if he doesn't change his ways George Bailey comes to understand how important he's been you know by having existed and how many lives he's touched and Kevin comes to appreciate his family when he, they're no longer there and he comes to understand you know that he does care about them uh, and and doesn't learn that lesson until he's given a glimpse of what life without them would be like see I've, I've made I've I've understood. I've always felt that it's a wonderful life and a Christmas Carol had that thematic uh, thread, but I never would have caught the Home Alone one. But I think you're actually really right about that. But that's, I mean, like so many Christmas movies are sort of about like learning the meaning of family and you right. know stuff like. You know. No, I, yeah, redemption stories are very big. Uh, yeah. You know, in this thing, there is something about the notion of Christmas where we sort of imbue it with this power of this is going to be the year that like whatever stupid argument's been going on in my family that we're going to finally put it aside or that we're finally going to have that conversation that resolves, you know, the the decades of bad blood that we've had yeah. and that we're going to finally put this stuff aside and, and fix everything and come together because it's Christmas, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, a movie like It's a Wonderful Life sort of sells that notion in a way in terms of making Christmas be the, the catalyst for all this, you know, learning and growing that this character does well so there's like the learning and there's the christmas movies where it's where it's about christmas yeah then there are the movies like gremlins where i feel like it's set at christmas for a strong thematic reason mm-hmm. and i would argue die hard maybe is one of those as oh, well uh, you know look the, the heist happens on christmas because they know the building is going to be empty and because there's not going to be a lot of police on the streets yeah um you know, when you when you boil it down, this is a movie that's about an estranged married couple working out their differences and reconnecting on Christmas Eve with guns. 
with guns, and the wife's name is Holly. Mm. Oh my God! I never, you know, not to mention that the fact, never occurred to me. Not to mention the fact <laughs> that you've got all the Christmas music in the movie, and like gift wrap plays a key role in the finale. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a Christmas. But, movie. Okay, but uh, okay, but then there are like like you you brought up Terry Gilliam's Brazil, which is yes. one of my all time favorite movies. Um, but I would and I and until you said it. I never thought of it as a Christmas movie, although everyone's like happy Christmas and giving each other gifts constantly. But to me, that is a movie where Christmas is an incidental thing to the Sure, point. you could set that movie whenever you wanted to. But I think that the the weird surrealism of that world that he creates is sort of like glitzy, but also, you know, gross future, mm-hmm. you know. Christmas is sort of the shiny bauble time of year. And so to take that the, that weird world of Brazil and then also throw in people dressed as Santa Claus and people giving half-wrapped, unwrapped gifts and yeah, whatever yeah. just sort of adds another level to it. So, yeah, I, I mean, like I said, I cast a wide net and a lot of people will disagree about whether this movie or that movie qualifies. But, you know, I figure that, you know, People choose to use Christmas for one reason or other. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, certainly if if you believe Room Two Thirty Seven, you know every single choice Stanley Kubrick makes <laughs> is like well thought out and means something. You know, and so if you believe that you know the the Calumet baking powder cans in the pantry of the Overlook Hotel is a, a statement about the treatment of the indigenous peoples, and I don't, or the sweater is about how he faked the moon landing, and or I whatever. really don't. No, I don't believe those things either. But I'm just saying, you know, then you can't tell me that that the fact that Eyes Wide Shut is set at Christmas is just Oh, you know, it just happens to be like that's clearly intentionally part of his storytelling. Okay, so okay, so let's go to Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, 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 you know, Kubrick's final movie mm-hmm. set around Christmas. Why? Well, you know, again, I think what we were talking before about the whole juxtaposition thing. This is a this is a time a season that is it's thought of as being a time for families to come together, mm-hmm. and this is a story about a marriage that's falling apart. Correct. And this is about about a man who is looking to you know uh, explore kind of this sort of sexual adventurism that he's been that he's been you know felt like he's had had to abandon because he's been in a monogamous marital relationship and so to set that against the backdrop of christmas just sort of like makes it play out larger in terms of what he's betraying what he's potentially giving up what he's potentially destroying um but you know you watch that movie again there's so much christmas in it like Every scene, there's a tree. There's a wall of twinkle lights. Nicole Kidman is wrapping a present. Like, there's just so much Christmas in that film. Hmm. And and uh, like Die Hard, you're right. It's about a uh, marriage falling apart around Christmas time. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the famous final scene takes place in a toy store. Weird. Blowing my mind. One of my favorite final lines of any movie, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Which is? Let's go fuck. All right. <laughs> really? That's the final line of Die Hard? That, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't really hear it because they're no, in the limo. But It's yeah. Die Hard 3. Was <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, all right. So uh, my favorite Christmas movie, because you guys were oh, certainly wondering by now. Uh, <laughs> Please. <laughs> A Christmas story. A Christmas oh, sure. story. I, th- I think that, in, in, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's uh, universally popular now, or maybe it's a generational thing because it kind of came out like when I was a kid. So, uh, yeah, Christmas story for, for me, I, I don't, uh, if I if I had to pick one thing, uh, you'll shoot your eye out, kid, is almost like a, uh, is, is like a reoccurring theme in life. 
it's one of those movies that I think it's like hard to imagine the world without it. Like it, it's like Jaws. It just came out of the earth fully formed. Like nobody <laughs> had to go sell that idea. It just like one day, hey, you're welcome, world. And uh, Bob Clark of Porky's and Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things fame and Black brought, Christmas fame. and oh, of course, Black <laughs> Christmas. Yes. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's funny. I mean, I'm a little older than you guys, so I sort of watched the trajectory of a Christmas story. And like, it opened at the holidays of '83. You know, had a moment and then kind of went away. And yeah. and it was just sort of there in the background. It would pop up on TV. And as you know, during those years, I, I was sort of growing somewhat aware of its existence, but I really hadn't seen it. And then Turner very shrewdly followed the the formula that turned It's a Wonderful Life into a hit, which was, you know, that movie went into the public domain, and then in the early 70s, it was on TV constantly. Like, local stations would just play it all the time, and I remember, like, literally changing channels and just watching it over and over again, or catching bits of it over and over again, because it was just always there. So that's, and, you know, again, that movie had been a flop when it opened theatrically, but that's when it became this sort of beloved American chestnut. So Ted Turner... With, uh, I believe, originally on TNT and then later on TCM, uh, would do these 24-hour A Christmas Story marathons. And that is really kind of what cemented it as kind of it's become sort of America's Christmas movie, you know, in, in along the lines of It's a Wonderful Life. It, 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 it really permeated the culture because they just hard sold it that way. So Illy and I are just sort of successful test subjects in that particular experiment. <laughs> Well, uh, I'm also a test subject for colorization. Thank you, Ted Turner, because Ooh. the first time I ever saw It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, no. <laughs> colorized. And then it wasn't until years later when I actually got to see it in the original black and white oh, format. Oh, man. You're I can't like, even... Everyone was just made out of pastel. Like, how did it work? <laughs> I can't. And the thing is, like, the, the, what's so great about the, the, the Pottersville nightmare sequence of that movie, it's like it gets so noiry and shadowy. I can't even imagine what the colorized version was like. <laughs> Colorful. <laughs> um, yeah, and I I, I want to say also like of a Christmas story was shot by Reginald H. Morris, um, but Re that movie even looks like an older movie, and I think it's very like like there's something beautiful and perfect about the way it kind of subverts what I think would feel like an, almost a 1960s look in the early 80s, um, and the way it's lit and everything like that, and the way the picture is framed to kind of create this idyllic. Well, you know, you look at period pieces and you can kind of tell like, oh, this is a 1970s, 1940s, or this is a, you know, 1950s, 1890s. Yeah. Like the, 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 there's, there's, there's always a cheat with the hair or something where it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> I get what you're doing. But that movie, I think, really does nail its 40s-ness yeah. in a way that a lot of movies, even in the 80s, weren't, didn't do nearly as well. And yeah, that's well, what's made it, what makes it timeless. Yeah, it, it really has a, yeah, it has a perfect look and, uh, and, and it, yeah, it, even at the time it felt old. Like it felt it like it popped out of a time capsule. Absolutely. It seemed like a period piece from from the get go. And it is kind of a period piece, but it looks it looks like a movie from from it looks like a movie from another era, which yeah, the, the, I, which in 1980 was a good trick considering it was like, you know, but right, right around the same time as like Back to the Future. Yeah. yeah Return of the Jedi. Right. A Christmas uh, story. <laughs> well, no, I, years ago I, I interviewed Richard Linklater when um, Daisy Confused came out. And he said oh, wow. that, that he really loved American Graffiti and at first thought that it had been made in the early 60s. Oh, yeah. And so one of his goals for Daisy Confused was to look like a movie that would have been made in 1976. That's like Ty West. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah, Ty yeah, West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ty West, uh, especially House of the House Devil. House of the Devil, totally. Yeah. Looks like a movie that was made in the 80s in every way. And he like he shot it in 16 millimeter and he like nailed that style. It was a period piece that felt like it was it was just like unearthed in 19, you know, from 1982 or something. 
I want to give a shout out to one of my favorites because uh, I, I do. There's an entire chapter in my book of Christmas Carol adaptations because there's so many of them. Yes, like I watched 22 of them and I feel like I barely scratched the surface. I, Jesus. I, I think I saw a bracket this year that somebody did online of like 64 of them. They include Good a lot Lord. of TV stuff, but I mean, still, it's it's insane how many there are. Um, I really love the 1970 musical Scrooge with Albert Finney for a number of reasons. Uh, partially that that Finney plays old Scrooge and young Scrooge, which a lot of actors don't do um but it was shot by oswald morris uh who did man who fell to earth not man who fell to earth man who would be king sorry mm. um and oliver and sleuth and you know this great british cinematographer and i have seen so many scrooges including uh the fairly recent the man who invented christmas where it is victorian london looks like it's in malibu like the the light is so bright and shiny um this is a movie that really captures a sort of fog-bound, wintry London, you know, light when in daytime or nighttime. Um, and, you know, I mean, it helps that it has, I think, one of the larger sets that any of these movies have had. So it, it's not like that deal where, like, you know, we walk down one street and then we're going to walk back down it again. You know, mm. and it, this one feels like it kind of goes on in various directions. But the way that it gets the light, um, you know, is, is really... Uh, it, it feels Victorian. It feels Dickensian. And then it makes it that much pop. It makes it pop that much more in those moments where, you know, we do get a moment of, of light, like whether the in the flashbacks in Christmas past where we see him falling in love with with uh, young Belle Fezziwig or, you know, the, the 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 sequence at the end where he's in hell. But it's icy cold because, you know, that's how he always kept the office for Bob Cratchit. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a really cool looking film, but I think, you know, I love the, I love everything about it. I love the, the, the songs. I love the cast. It's great. My obsession on, on Christmas movies would be on ones that subvert it. But I, I, I think that, you know, Christmas Carol and those kinds of movies, like movies that actually embrace the true story of Christmas unironically or, or, you know, without trying to be edgy or cool about it. Like there's like, I, I guess like I have a, an idea in my head of, you know, the lifetime movie versions of those <laughs> things. But like, what are the good ones? What are the ones that like really managed to successfully tug at your heartstrings? Uh, well, I'll tell you, you know, celebrating its 15th anniversary this year, uh, I think Elf is a movie that we've we've grown to take for granted because it's so great. Oh, yeah. But I remember when I first saw it, I was so astonished at how they ride this really difficult fine line between being like a little bit winky, but a lot sincere. You know, and I think that you can you can err too much on on either side, you know, where you where you just get completely gushy or you get completely, you know, sort of um, self-aware and, yeah. and, and, you know, you put everything in italics. And that that movie, I think, manages to eat its cake and have it, too, in a way that that a lot of films don't. It was shot by Greg Gardner. Uh, who did, um, oh, uh, Men in Black 2 and Race to Witch Mountain. He, he worked on To Live and Die in L.A. and Repo Man, which is very cool. Oh, and Anyone he, uh, who works and, on Repo and, Man is okay in my book. Absolutely. Uh, Girls Trip and Night School. Um, so, yeah, he, he, God, he's, he's got a ton of credits. I would say one um, of the best cinematic uses of Will Ferrell as well as like one of his earlier movies. Yeah. And that was, I, uh, that was John Favreau's first film, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think. Zathura. What? Zathura? I thought Zathura was after that. Oh, I thought, yeah. I thought, what was the one that he, they did after Swingers that was him and. Oh, you're uh, right. It was Made. Made. Made, made was yeah. his first film. I'm sorry. <laughs> El- we just in a whole. John Favreau filmography. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. We just we just waxed your car, John Favreau, wherever you are. But 
you know, but it, and uh, I think also part of one of the things that happened with Elf was uh, I think it very quickly went into production because they wanted to shoot New York exteriors before the decorations went down. Uh. And I think that really plays a big role, especially in, in specifically in New York films um, like uh, Whit Stillman when he made his first film Metropolitan, which was a low budget film. But he said, I had I got millions of dollars of art direction from the city of New York because, you know, all the lights were up and, and you know, there, the, he, there was Scribner's was still there and he could still shoot the big window, you know, and and just the, the so much of the way that city looks is so gorgeous. And again, bringing it back to, to Eyes Wide Shut, that's the one place I think where the whole Christmasiness falls apart a little is that, you know, of course, Kubrick shoots, shoots the whole thing in England because, you know, God forbid he come back to the United but States. But it's set in New York. And it's set, but it's set in New York and it's his New York is not quite as lit as it may Maybe should be um, in certain sequences. I'm thinking like if this were actual Manhattan, there would be more stuff on the lampposts. There would be more stuff in the windows. And he does some. There's, you know, there's an effort to to Christmas it up a bit. But that's the that's the part where I'm going like you didn't shoot this in New York, Mr. Kubrick. I can He's tell. like, I made Vietnam in London. I can do anything. Exactly. <laughs> Um, what is the connection of New York to these Christmas movies? It seems like, you know, Mir- Miracle on 34th Street. And- yeah, I mean, I think Miracle on 34th Street is definitely a, a big launch pad for that. In fact, you know, you'll note in Elf, he goes to work for Gimbel's, which mm-hmm. at that point was no longer a department store. But because of Miracle on 34th Street, it's sort of part of this kind of Christmas mythos that we mm-hmm. associate with, with New York City and with department stores. Um, you know, I guess it's because... It's a city where it snows, and so that helps, obviously. Um, and you know, it, it is a you know they do the big Thanksgiving parade. You have the the tree at Rockefeller Center. They have a lot of Christmas ritual that have become you know well known to Americans. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you could do it in D.C. or Chicago or whatever, but there is something about New York at Christmas time that has become kind of this romantic notion. Even Home Alone Two is Home Alone Two lost in New York exactly. <laughs> wow. I'm learning all kinds of stuff about Christmas. <laughs> the true meaning of Christmas can only be found in New York. <laughs> exactly. The rest of us are just faking it. Screwing it all up. <laughs> all right. So we don't have to name names about the bad Christmas movies, but I think there's all there's quite a few of those that we probably wouldn't want to spend our time with. But uh, you, you've given us a really nice, I'd say, good long list of things that we probably should spend some time with. If there is sort of like a, an honorable mention, maybe for like a a, a second a runner-up, terrible one. Well, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, if so, if someone who's like, like entertainingly terrible. Like, oh, okay. Maybe well, like maybe something campy. Maybe I, I'm going to throw this one out because it just became available on Amazon Prime. So if you get Amazon Prime, this is free. You don't have to pay any extra. There's so for much it. random stuff on Amazon Prime. I love it, including. <laughs> Six Weeks. I don't know if you guys remember this movie. No. It was Dudley Moore and Mary Tyler Moore, who were both (laughs) super... Yeah, more and more is less and less. Uh, They were both... (laughs) They were super hot at this point. He was just coming off of Arthur. She was just coming off of Ordinary People. And this movie, like, basically killed their career momentum for several years. Uh, It is... He plays a politician. She plays a rich cosmetics magnate with a an unbearably precocious teenage daughter who is dying of leukemia but wants to dance in the nutcracker and they all go to new york even though he's married um and it it's it's 
it is teeth achingly just. I'm going to make my in laws watch this over Christmas. I can't wait. <laughs> but it is it is very much a New Yorky Christmas movie. Like you know, they they go to Rockefeller Center, they they go to Lincoln Center. You know, uh, it's not a spoiler to say she drops dead in the subway. It's a it, it's a terrible movie. Uh, Nathan Rabin recently wrote about it. He said like if you never thought a movie about a child dying at Christmas could be hilarious, <laughs> you haven't seen Six Weeks. Oh. Uh, <laughs> by Michael D. Margulis, uh, uh, Margulies, who, uh, wow, this is here's an eclectic career. He shot The Baby. Do you guys know this one? No. Oh, insane horror film from the early 70s. It just came out on Blu-ray. You need to see Whoa. it. Whoa. Um, shot Police Academy and shot John Cassavetti's Minnie and Moskowitz. Oh, wow. So... That is eclectic. He, he worked all sides of the uh, of the table. <laughs> I, li- I like someone who who varies up the resume like that. <laughs> and uh, a Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry. I have seen Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry. <laughs> I I think I stumbled across it on Amazon Prime or something, and I was like, "The hell is that?" And that movie is bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, the, yeah, Amazon Prime has some very strange stuff. I was recently forced by Nathan Rabin to watch uh, a movie called Santa's Summer House, uh, directed <laughs> by. Uh, are y'all familiar with the oeuvre of David Dakota? No. Wait, that's he, that's not really his name, is it? No, that is his name. But he also he this one he had, he directed under the pseudonym Mary Crawford. He does a lot of. I, I like, knew that he had a. I knew that there was a pseudonym involved. With yeah, that he does a lot of twink-based horror films. Um, but he does a little bit of everything he did the infamous a talking cat question mark exclamation point question mark Um, and and like all of his films are shot in the same house Uh, fair (laughs) which you can always spot because it has this weird sofa that's made from the back end of a VW Beetle anyway uh, this movie feature it's about Santa's summer house it stars a bunch of uh, over the hill action stars but there's no action in the movie it's supposed to be a comedy and um, there's like, like like who who are the aging? Oh, actors like uh, Cynthia Rothrock. Oh wow! And um, uh, Gary Daniels, Cynthia Rothrock, Daniel Bernhardt, uh, Kathy Long. I, I worked the, with Daniel Bernhardt, the, the first lady of kickboxing. Nice. Uh, Daniel's a, a great fighter, actually. Well, I'm sure he is, but uh, there's no fighting in this movie. He, but like he, like he literally plays a rocket scientist in this film. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, uh, th- this movie to pad itself out to an appropriate running time features a 15 minute croquet match. Whoa. I kid you not. <laughs> I can't even like recommend that as a fun watch. It's it was painful. But six weeks is hysterical. Six weeks. No, I'm definitely going to make the in-laws watch that. <laughs> so so what are like, uh, let, let's pretend I'm an alien who just arrived on Earth and I've never seen a Christmas movie. Like wh- where where do I start? What's what's the, the jumping off point for like the, the classics? But you know, honestly, I feel like they become such a part of the firmament. We, we take them for granted. Like it's a wonderful life. Sure. Well, you know, I think if you want like Christmas with a capital C, you know. Uh, and I do. Oh, well. Then, I don't. I, I don't at all. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I would say White Christmas because that is a movie that is, uh, it, it is, it, I mean, on, on multiple levels. Visually, you've never seen such eye scorchingly red outfits in your life, mm. uh, which I love about this movie. Uh, shot by uh, Loyal Griggs. 
Um, who I assume did. that's got to be Technicolor because that's so old. Oh, it's Technicolor. And like, Vista is the first VistaVision film. Oh, sweet. Uh, but See, yeah. you know all about cinematography. <laughs> I, I, y'all are getting every last ounce of things I know. Uh, <laughs> Loyal Griggs, who shot Shane and the Ten Commandments. Um, yeah, this was Michael Curtiz. And it, it, it just, it is, it is visually just so overwhelmingly every frame a Christmas card. Um, what year was that? 1954. So color had been around for a while. It wasn't, oh yeah, it wasn't it's not like, like it's nineteen thirty six. We're not throwing you know? color. We're not throwing the reds just to sh- just because we can. It's yeah, no. This is this this was a choice. I mean, and just from the credits, you're already like just that color mm. is hitting you. Um, but it, you know, it's also an interesting movie just because uh, the song "White Christmas" has such an integral role in the American celebration of Christmas. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was introduced, you know, in, in Holiday Inn, uh, but then it became this massive hit during World War II, and it was you know it's a song about nostalgia it's about being back home for christmas about the ones i used to know and so that obviously resonated with a lot of people you know who were overseas during the war and then the movie white christmas comes around in 1954 and it's about those same soldiers now home being nostalgic for the war itself whoa so the beginning of the movie it's like it's 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 set during world war ii and bing crosby and danny bing crosby is performing the song in front of like this sort of painted backdrop of a snowy forest you know to a little music box accompaniment to the soldiers who you see like getting sad and thinking about home by the end of the movie he and Danny Kay are performing it in front of their old platoon who have all gathered in Vermont to help out their old general who's been running this inn that's about to fail because it hasn't snowed that year. Spoiler alert. I know, I'm going to give away the ending of a, of a 65-year-old movie. Uh, but, you know, then they throw open the back doors and the snow is coming down and they're singing it again in front of real snow. And and so it, it's this weird thing about let's take this song that's about nostalgia and then make it about nostalgia for the moment at which that song was popular that's crazy so white christmas is really about a bunch of guys who who wish that they were living the time of their life where they were off shooting nazis basically yeah there's in fact there is a whole number in the song in the in the in part of the finale called gee i wish i was back in the army wow yeah <laughs> now i want to see it i've never seen that movie oh man you should the fathom events is doing it in december like tcm is doing a couple nights of it and uh, oh cool if you can see it projected like i said it's the it, the, it is visually there's with, just a with lot the seven month old baby it's unlikely all right well i've, it's, I've seen exactly three movies in the theater and one was for this podcast well it'll since, it'll since may <laughs> it'll be it'll it'll i'm sure you can stream it or actually yeah. no it's on netflix and i think about it oh so. sweet no excuses mr watch white christmas i will i'm maybe i'll get the uh, again the fam over uh, over the christmas holidays it's always like we bring our oscar screeners and maybe watch a few of those but uh but yeah yeah they always want to watch christmas stuff now i'd have a reason you definitely have a reason and uh let's uh let's talk about uh john hughes made a christmas movie Oh, he made several. Oh, okay. Well, I, 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 the one I was thinking of was National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Right. Well, but you know, he also wrote uh, Home Alone. Sure, that's and true. And he wrote the uh, remake of Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't so. know he wrote that. Yeah, he did. But yes, Christmas Vacation, uh, which was uh, which, like the previous Vacation film, was based on one of his uh, National Lampoon short stories. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, and actually shot in uh, either the Warner Lot or the Warner Ranch on the same street that Danny Glover's house was on in uh, uh, Lethal Weapon. Oh, which is interesting. Also set at Christmas, <laughs> and I think Frank Capra, either Junior or the Third, was like a second unit director on. Oh, I think he's Christmas a, Vacation. I think he's an AD or something, isn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, that that's interesting. And I feel like uh, Christmas Vacation is one of those movies that like actually kind of fell into like it it hit all the cliches in the perfect way. Yeah. And so like uh, you know you'll you'll hear somebody like you'll see somebody who overdoes it. And, uh, you know, someone will call them Clark Griswold. Right. Like, like it actually happened. Like I know someone who, do, who does that. And I'm like, oh, and, and I, I don't think about Christmas vacation at all. <laughs> and, and yet like immediately sparked my memory of having seen that movie. I think that the vacation movies, they, they, they work on a certain level, but it is this like, let's just say lowest brow, uh, slapstick and over the top. But I think that's kind of what people want it the holidays well you know they kind of they kind of hit i think on a couple of levels like yeah you've got like chevy chase falling down and smacking himself into things and and sort of awful stuff happening but there is kind of this weird deeper thing going on with that character where he feels the need to it, it's like somebody whose entire uh understanding of life was from old movies and TV commercials mm. and this need to like always be having these moments and always creating these kind of perfect family moments rather than letting them happen organically and in trying to make them happen in a perfect way that's what makes disaster strike and so I think Christmas is one of those times of the year when people like that feel particularly pressured that everything has to be perfect and everything has to look this way and everything, yeah. you know, everything has to constantly look like a page in a catalog or something you know and so for that character you know, which who they had established in two previous movies is having this notion of like, this got to be the perfect vacation and we're all going to take this picture and we're going to do these things and go to these places. Christmas is the perfect, you know, pickle to put him in because it's going to give you all these, you know, this dinner and the, the, the posing for the Christmas card and the putting up the tree and all these moments that have to deliver in a certain way that he then messes up because he's trying so hard to make them perfect rather than just let them be what they are. I've never thought that deep of an analysis of the, of, of the vacation <laughs> movies, and yet that is that is exactly it. And I feel like in every movie he's given a new Rusty and Audrey that he has to prove himself to. <laughs> yes. Once he breaks one in, they they give him a new it's pair. A, it's a new one. In fact, isn't isn't Juliet Lewis Audrey in, in yeah, Christmas Vacation? Yeah, and Johnny Galecki is Rusty. Well, who's that? From uh, from Roseanne. <gasps> and, and oh my Big god! Bang yeah. <laughs> Uh, shot by uh, Thomas E. Ackerman, who uh, did. Uh, oh God, have you all seen Rat Race? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. I love Rat Race. That's fun. Uh, he also shot Anchorman and uh, the uh, the uh, George of the Jungle with uh, Brendan Fraser. Anchorman holds up pretty well, but it's not a Christmas movie. It is not. Nor is the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, look, he did Elf. Will Ferrell yeah. gave it the office. Yeah, we'll give it. Yeah. He gave it the office. I, I tell you, and if you guys want to see like the, the one of the grimmest movies I saw, since, since I know you're not the biggest fan of Christmas, do y'all know the Ice Harvest? Oh yes, that is like that. That is a. Have you seen that? Oh yes, that is like the black slush of Christmas movies. Like, like everybody just looks cold and uncomfortable and miserable, and the whole thing is so bleak, and everyone is behaving so terribly. I got to see who shot this. Someone named uh, Alar Cavillo. Um, Oh, uh, this is the movie with the key party, right? No, 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 that's a different ice storm. Yeah, that's that's the ice ice storm. storm. He said the ice harvest. (laughs) The ice harvest. Ice harvest. Yeah, Yeah. with Billy Bob Thornton and John Cusack. I was like, I don't remember any of this in the ice storm. (laughs) I I don't want to see Billy Bob Thornton and John Cusack in a key party. (laughs) (laughs) You're thinking of Tobey Maguire dying. (laughs) (laughs) I I like where this is going, though. (laughs) 
very good. Oh God, no! But the, the, in this one, instead, you have you have a, a stripper played by uh, I think Connie Britton, who is like thoroughly manipulating everybody. And uh, yeah, like even even when it gets sort of sexy in in the Ice Harvest, it's not sexy. Just yeah. everything is it just it gives you a chill. Yeah, it's like a scuzzy, backstabby kind of crime movie. Yeah, like cruddy lawyers and shifty, yeah. you know, crime comedy. Like it was a funny. Yeah, movie. It, it's it is funny. I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like it's Ingmar Bergman, but I mean, yeah, it, it is it is bleakly funny. <laughs> I think that gives us plenty to watch this holiday season. Uh, Alonzo, I, we'd love to have you come back and do something like this again sometime. Oh, well, I'd love to. Thank you. Please tell uh, our listeners uh, the best place to find you. Oh, sure. Well, uh, I'm at A Duralde on Twitter. A D is in David, U-R-A-L-D-E, and that's where I generally post links to stuff that I'm doing. But you can read me at therap.com, T-H-E-W-R-A-P. Uh, and you can find uh, Linoleum Knife at patreon.com slash linoleum knife. And you can find Who Shot Ya on the MaximumFun.org site. And my book, Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas, is available on Amazon as a book and as a Kindle. I'll have you know, too, that uh, right after you gave us that glowing review of I'll Be Seeing You, I just added it to my cart, and now it's going to be at my house in two days. Thank you so much for coming out. This was way more interesting than I ever thought Christmas movies could be. <laughs> well, It's I, a Christmas miracle. There you go. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Merry Christmas. Join us next time for another entertaining and thought-provoking conversation on the Cinematography Podcast. Thanks for listening. 